Good morning. Welcome all that are here in attendance at the First Church this morning, along with those listening on T102 and watching on Facebook Live. This morning we will start with a mission moment. Uh, introduce Mr. Greg Wilt from Morgan Cemetery. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank Reverend Joel and you, the congregation, for allowing us a few minutes today. I'm a member of uh, St. Jacob and Anna, and your lovely windows remind me of my home church. Uh, they're beautiful, and we have windows of that similar uh, pattern, so thanks for that. Uh, Morgan's Place, we kind of are revealing a new slogan. It's Morgan's Place Cemetery, but it's really more than just a cemetery, which I hope I can convey this morning. Uh, a young couple lost a child. They named it Morgan, and that's the name of the cemetery after that child. It's for miscarried, stillborn, or aborted babies. There are special circumstances for others. We will do about anything you can think of to ease the burden of that tragedy for the family. That's, that's a quick summary of what we do. Uh, if you can think of anything that's needed, we probably will or have done it. Even helping a family bury a child in Utah from Sydney. Um, it's free to the families, totally free. It's non-denominational, and there are no geographic boundaries. Anyone is welcome to bury a child at Morgan's Place. Um, I will be here after service for those of you that would like to get more details about our mission. Um, if you have any other groups, a book club, a Kiwanis, a ladies, sorority, anything that likes to have speakers or needs speakers, we would be happy to come for that. We do have an email sign-up sheet. If you are willing to support the mission and want to be kept informed, if you would give us your name and email, then we'll update you as time goes on. And we also have some information about several of our upcoming activities. Uh, and a lot of them involve food, and I know that's usually a pretty good attraction just right there. So, once again, thank you so much for allowing us to come. I will be over here to my left after service. Please stop by and have a blessed day. Thank you. Reverend. Oh, the, loca the location uh, is southeast of Sydney. If you know State Route 29, I think you should, go through Sydney. There's a little town called Pasco. You turn right in Pasco, that's still State Route 29. Go a few miles winding around, and then you turn right on State Route 589. And that goes south directly to Route 36 coming out of Piqua. Okay? The Verdiers have actually... Uh, given land from their farm to be permanently deeded over to the cemetery. It's also able to be expanded 
and we have started to bury little ones. Um, so that's the location. It's kind of southeast corner of Shelby County and Logan, Miami, and Champaign County are all right there. I'm going to guess it's uh, 35 to 40 minutes from here. So it's very close to visit, and it's intended for that as well. So thanks. Thanks for that question, Reverend. Again, thank you, folks. You have a blessed day and a gorgeous service. Thank you. Again, Mr. Wilt has a table set up in the Heritage Room for anybody that would like to uh, visit after the service. And now, if we could, let's please stand and join in the call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now we will continue to stand and sing our opening song, Come Thou Font, and O Come to the Altar. call to worship this morning is from Second Chronicles 7.14. Dave just read that for you. But I want to take a moment and just reflect on that. So often we read our calls to worship and then we just kind of move on with our service and maybe don't ever, don't give it another thought. But I just want to take a moment and pause and reflect on Second Chronicles 7.14 and what it is calling us to do. 
We are God's people. We are the ones called by his name. And he promises that if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, that he will hear us and respond. And so today what we want to do is take a moment in our service to put that into practice. And so for the next few moments, we're going to take time to pray together as a church. Um, Sharon's going to continue to play some music on the piano. And I want to invite you to pray as you feel led to pray this morning. Maybe that's individually. Maybe that's as a family. If you want to break up into in small groups that right in your pew with the people next to you in the pews, you can certainly do that as well. You can, stay seat, you can remain standing or stay seated, whatever is, is comfortable for you. But we're going to take the next few moments and, and put Second Chronicles 7.14 into practice to pray for, uh, to humble ourselves and to pray and seek God together as a church family. Lift up your prayers and concerns to him. Um, praise him for all that he's done in your life. Um, whatever you feel led to pray for, I encourage you to do that now. And so um, feel free to pray on your own, with your families, with those around you. If you'd like someone to pray for you or pray with you, but you're not sure what to pray for, um, I'll be up here uh, by these steps. I invite you to come forward and pray with me during this time. After we've had a few moments of prayer together, we'll, have, uh, uh, we'll go and we'll begin to sing our next song together. So let me open us up with a word of prayer and invite you to continue in the spirit of prayer together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to pray together, to truly live out this verse that you promise that if we humble ourselves and seek your face, that you will hear us when we pray. And so I pray, Lord, that you, we would, that as we humble ourselves now in a time of prayer, that you would hear us and respond. As we lift up our prayers and concerns to you, I pray that you would hear us, that you would Help us to turn from what is wrong in our lives and that you will forgive us and you will heal us. And so we come to you now and pray to you as a church family.
Lord God, we need you. We need your presence in our lives. We need your word to guide us and to strengthen us. And we need your grace. Because without you, Lord, we would be lost. And so we come before you as your people this morning to humble ourselves, to seek your face, to turn from our wicked ways. And we ask that you would hear us as we lift up our prayers to you. We thank you for this time that we can gather together to worship you and sing your praises. And also, Lord, enter into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ and in his powerful name and lift up our prayers to you. And I pray as we continue in a spirit of prayer that you continue to hear our prayers and our praises this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may remain seated or remain standing, however you feel led, but let's continue in a spirit of prayer and praise and sing our next song, O Come to the Altar.
Father God, we thank you for this time to meet with you this morning in prayer, Lord. Father, you invite us to talk to you through prayer about all the things going on in our life. You ask us to bring everything to you, our cares, our concerns, our praises, and even the things that we need to seek forgiveness for. And God, we thank you that you hear each and every one of us and that you answer our prayers according to your will and in your timing, Lord. You are such a good Father, God, and we thank you for your unconditional love for us and that you continually draw us closer to you each and every day in relationship with you. Father, we ask that you would continue to guide us this morning as we worship you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'd like to invite the children up for children's chat. I changed slides on you, didn't I? Come over here because I got things that you can look at. Okay. Wow, look at all of you. Woohoo. That's neat. Come over here so you can see on this side. How many more days of school? Four. Four? Huh? Are you excited? What are you going to do this summer? You don't know? Well, hey, I've got some chores at my house. Anybody want to come over? No? Hmm? I think Benjamin would be a good one. Come over, help me. Well, when you're playing outside and it's hot, what happens? You get sweaty. You get sweaty. What else? You get thirsty. Get thirsty. Huh? Some of you do. Yeah, remember to take them out of your backpack before you use your backpack next year. Just, just a word of suggestion. Well, I'm thirsty. Now, I've got all kinds of containers that I can use. There's one. That's kind of a cute little one, isn't it? Wouldn't last me through practice very long, would it, if I was practicing ball? And, oh, there's a good one here. Look at that. That's a big one. Are these alike? No. This one says Grandma. Yeah, well, there's another kind. And this one says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it flips up like this. It's pretty fancy, too, isn't it? Yeah. Whoops. And we have the regular old water bottle. Now, all these things can hold the same thing. And what is that? Water. That's right. Are any of you alike here? Clara Millie, close. Nobody's alike. Are any of these? 
alike? Any of these water bottles alike? No, they're not. So keep that in mind because Jesus talked to a woman at a well. And she, she was drawing water. They took big jugs. And then they had to carry the water back to their homes. Well, usually in those times, these people that didn't get along, the Jews didn't get along with the Samaritans. They just didn't get along. They just always were grumping with each other. So she was surprised that Jesus even talked to her. And he's talking to her about living water. Now, we drink water so we can survive. We need water, don't we? It's very important that we drink water. Does it make any difference what container it's in as long as it's clean? No, it doesn't. So that's what Jesus was talking to her about, that he can give her living water, water that will quench the thirst that she has for eternal life and learning about God and everything. Now, if I am thirsty, I just stand here and hold this bottle. Is it going to do me any good? What do I have to do? I have to drink it. Well, that didn't work. What do I have to do? Take the lid off. Oh, take the lid off. Of course. So if I take the lid off and drink the water, which I won't do now because I'll probably dump it on somebody, then I, my thirst is quenched, which means if we want the living water from God, we have to open ourselves up for the word of God so we can have eternal life. So we bring the living water into us, regardless of what we look like. The living water from Jesus is what carries us through. And when that living water of Christ comes in your lives, you just bubble over with happiness. And who do you want to tell about it? Everyone. Everyone. You want to tell... Um, I want to tell everybody... And maybe even your family or share it and talk with your family and friends. And you're going to see a lot of people this summer and just think about it. Because when that water comes in and it fills, Jesus fills us up inside, we can't hardly wait to tell somebody about his love and everything. And so we keep having to pour water in our containers, don't we? We have to keep putting water back in there. And we do that by reading the Bible. We do that by you know, serving God, and we do that by praying, and all those things will fill us up. So this summer, you think about when you're thirsty and you get a drink of water, that you're filling yourself up with water for your life, and also water comes from Jesus, living water for eternity. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that his water will help us. Please help us to share his message. Please provide these vessels, these children, with living water so that they can share it to all those around him. them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you so much. All right. As the choir comes forward to prepare for our special music, I want to remind you our offering this morning goes to support Mark Bird and his work with Revive Ohio. 
Uh, many of you know Mark. Um, he has connections here at First Church, and we're grateful for his ministry and all that he does with Revive Ohio. So our offering this morning will support him and his ministry, and I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. So this time I want to invite our deacons forward to collect our offering as the choir sings as the deer.
If you are able, please remain standing for the scripture. I'm reading from John 4, verses 1 through 26. If you'd like to follow along in, in your pew Bibles, we're starting on page 1065. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, <clears throat> excuse me, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is God's word from the Holy Bible. You may be seated. Thank you, Sharon. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and praise your name together this morning. And now we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word and study it together. 
I pray that as we reflect on these words from John chapter 4, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may your Holy Spirit give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Can you imagine having the opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus? Uh, Probably two of Jesus' most famous conversations recorded in the Gospels happen here in John, back-to-back. In John chapter 3, you have the famous conversation with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. And here in John chapter 4, Jesus has a one-on-one conversation with a very different kind of person, a Samaritan woman at the well as he and his disciples were traveling through the land. If you had an opportunity to talk to Jesus, what would you talk about? I can guarantee you that no matter what you choose to ask him, he will always find a way to turn the conversation toward spiritual matters. It's exactly what he did with Nicodemus. It's exactly what he does with the woman at the well. And, and that's, that's what we see going on here in this passage. And so today, what I want to talk to you about, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that you just heard read from these 26 verses, and there's a lot of different directions that we could go with our time here this morning. But of course, we don't have time to cover it all. What I would like to focus on is how this passage teaches us, excuse me, what this passage teaches us about worship, about what it means to worship God in the way that he desires Jesus ends his conversation with this woman talking about the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. He talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we'll get to that point here in just a moment, but it's important to recognize that everything in this conversation leads up to that conclusion. The conversation about living water, the conversation about where to worship, all of those things play into our conversation here today. And so we will touch on them in turn. And so the big idea that we need to remember is that God desires worship that is genuine and authentic. That's what he wants out of his people. That's what he wants out of us. So the question then is, what is genuine and authentic worship? Well, I think Jesus uh, builds on that throughout his conversation with this woman. And the first thing that we must notice is that genuine and authentic worship flows out of saving faith. In Jesus Christ. In other words, worship isn't really worship unless it's grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Otherwise, you're just singing a song, right? Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. You know, people may enjoy live music, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a very big difference between enjoying a song being performed and truly engaging in worship. And the main difference is that true, authentic worship flows out of saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where Jesus begins this conversation with the woman. He, he asks her for a drink from the well, knowing full well where this conversation was going to go. He uses the water from the well. He uses what is natural and everyday to explain deep spiritual truths. He uses something that every person can relate to, right? The desire, right? Thirst is a common human experience that every single person can relate to. And so he uses that to try to help this woman understand an even greater spiritual need. 
See, just as we all thirst for water, we all thirst for something greater. We thirst for the living water. We thirst for eternal life. That is the thing that no earthly earthly material or earthly item can satisfy. C.S. Lewis once talked in his book, Mere Christianity, about how our human desires point us to something greater than ourselves. And he even uses water in that example. He says, you know, we have a human desire, we thirst, therefore there must be something like water to quench that desire, to quench that thirst. We have a human desire for food, we hunger, and so there must be something to satisfy that desire. And so God provides food for us to eat. And then he goes on to say that there must be something, there's a desire in us for something beyond ourselves, for something that this world cannot satisfy. We have a hunger and a longing and a thirst for something greater than this world has to offer. So therefore, there must be something out there greater that we were made for that is beyond this world. And of course, C.S. Lewis ultimately believes that that desire, that longing for something greater than ourselves points us to Jesus. And it's important to recognize that that invitation to come and drink from the well, to receive eternal life from Jesus is an invitation that's open to us all. Jesus reminds the woman here that, that if she were to drink the water he has to offer, that she would never thirst again. That he will completely satisfy any spiritual longings that she has. That everything she needs can be found in him and in him alone. But that invitation to come and drink from the well is open to every single person. That same metaphor is used in Revelation chapter 21 verse 6, describing the new heavens and the new earth. And the invitation is to all who are thirsty, come and drink the living water. Right? What is the one qualification to receive the living water that God offers to us? You just need to be thirsty. You need to recognize your need for it. You need to be willing to receive it for yourself. Carolyn's illustration during children's chat was perfect for that. We can have all the water bottles we want, right? But we need to take it, open it up, and drink it. We need to recognize our need for it in order for that desire to be satisfied. And so worship flows out of saving faith in Jesus Christ. The interesting thing here is that Jesus knew everything about this woman, right? He knew her past, and he still reached out to her. Jesus knew that she had had five husbands, and the the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. Jesus knew everything about her past, even the things that she was probably too afraid or too ashamed of, to make known. Some scholars speculate that the reason why this woman was coming to the well at the, in the middle of the day by herself is because she was not welcome to go to the well in the cooler parts of the day when women would often go, either in the early morning or later in the evening. She went at noon because she was some sort of social outcast. But Jesus knew everything about her, and yet he still reaches out to her and extends the invitation to receive that living water. Here's the important thing for us to remember, people, is that God knows everything about you. God knows everything about me. He knows all the shameful, secret things that you wish nobody else 
new. Jesus knows those things. And Jesus still reaches out and extends that invitation to receive that living water. God loves you. God has made a way for you to be saved. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knows your sin. God knows your mistakes. God knows your failings. And he wants to save you out of those things. He loves you. He showed his love for you by sending his son Jesus to die for you, to rescue you from your sin. Jesus reminds this woman also that salvation is from the Jews. There was a distinction between the Samaritans and the Jews, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But Jesus clearly points out that salvation is from the Jews. In other words, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is going to rescue people from their sins, does come from the Jewish people. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But salvation, so salvation is from the Jews, but it is not only for the Jews. Salvation is available to all people. Again, the only qualification, the only need to receive his salvation is to recognize your sin and accept him as Savior and Lord. He does save all those who willingly receive the living water that he offers. So how does this all relate to worship? Well, worship, I believe, is, a, is our grateful response to the salvation that we experience in Christ. When we worship him, whether it's through song, whether it's through reading his word, whether it's through prayer, it all is an overflow of that living water. It's an expression of thanks and gratitude towards the one who has saved us from our sin. Have you ever seen a new Christian worship? Right? Have you ever seen uh, uh, somebody who has just come to faith in the Lord and, and, they, and they're worshiping him? There's like a joy and an excitement and a happiness there that sometimes people that have been following Christ for a long time sometimes forget about, right? That's what I'm talking about there. It's that overflow of that new life in Christ. Now, we, people that have been following Jesus for a long time need to remember, right? We need to remember our first love. We need to remember the joy and the, the, the love that we experience in Christ and allow that to flow out of us as we worship him. So Jesus first tells us that worship flows out of faith in Jesus Christ. Second, we see that worship unites God's people together. Worship helps us to overcome our perceived divisions. Now, Carolyn reminded us in children's chat that Jews and Samaritans didn't quite get along very well. And in fact, if you've been reading along in our Bible in a year plan, we've been just reading through first and second Kings, and that helps us to understand what some of those divisions were. See, Samaria was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jerusalem was part of the southern kingdom of Judah. And let's just say they didn't always get along, right? When the two kingdoms split, King Jeroboam, who was the first king of, northern, uh, first king of Israel, decided he didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem to worship. That would have been splitting their loyalties. And so he set up places for them to worship in the northern kingdom so that they didn't have to go down to the temple in Jerusalem. And over time, those temples, those places of worship even were corrupted and they began to worship other idols and other gods in place of the one true God of Israel. 
And so a distinction began to be made between the worship that was happening in Jerusalem and the worship that was happening in Samaria and in the northern kingdom of Israel. And then eventually over time, the northern kingdom was conquered and, and those people were replaced by other people from all over the Assyrian Empire. And worship, again, kind of got mixed in with other peoples and their beliefs. And so by the time of Jesus, some centuries later, there was a very sharp distinction between Jew and Samaritan. Just divides. It was so strong, in fact, that when Jews would travel from Judah to Galilee, which Jesus was doing here in this case, they would go the long way around so that they didn't have to talk to anybody from Samaria. But Jesus goes straight through to Samaria. In fact, in John chapter 4, it says that he had to go to Samaria, which just wasn't true, right? He didn't have to go because everybody else went around. He could have went around too. Jesus had to go because he wanted to show that worship of the one true God unites God's people together. That in him there is no difference between Jew and Gentile or Jew and Samaritan. That we are all one in Christ. God brings us together in him. There were other distinctions in that day as well. And we see that even in the distinction between the woman at the well in John 4 and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. These are both very different individuals. Nicodemus was a very important Jewish man, right? He was a leader in, their, uh, in the synagogues. He was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was probably very wealthy, a very important person. Jesus goes and has a private conversation with him and talks to him about being born again, pointing to eternal life. This woman is very different. She's from Samaria. She's a woman. She's a social outcast. The very opposite of Nicodemus. And what does Jesus do? He goes right to her and has a conversation with her and points her to eternal life as well. The conversations are actually strikingly similar in the way that Jesus uses natural uh, uh, explanations for spiritual matters. Talking about birth in new birth in Christ, talking about water and living water that is found in Christ. Again, our, our commitment to Jesus as Savior and Lord helps us to overcome perceived divisions and unites God's people together. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how in Christ the dividing wall of hostility is being torn down the things that we so often assume separate us as people, whether that's politics, whether that's race, whether that's economics, whether that's, you know, where we live or where we're from, all of those things that we think normally divide us and separate us are torn down in Christ because we are united together. The one thing that holds us in common as Christians, our faith in Christ, is greater than any other division we may experience. And in fact, the early church was, was radically diverse, right? There were former slaves and former prostitutes worshiping alongside former tax collectors. There were rich and poor men and women worshiping together in the same place. Because the one thing that they had in common, their faith in Jesus as their living, risen Savior, was greater than anything that could possibly divide them. Faith in Christ and worshiping Him unites God's people together. We also see that worship, the third thing I want to point out here, is that worship is not limited to a particular location. 
after talking about living water and pointing out that, this, that Jesus knew everything about this woman, she finally starts to get that something's going on here, right? She finally recognizes that this guy might be some sort of prophet. And so she begins to ask him about spiritual questions. She says, there's this dispute about where to worship, and I already highlighted that for you. Are we supposed to worship on this mountain or down in Jerusalem? And Jesus reminds her that there is a time and it is, there is, there, it is coming and it is now here when it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not about this mountain and it's not about Jerusalem because God's people will worship him in spirit and in truth. The reason worship at the temple in Jerusalem was so important is because that was the place that the Lord chose to place his name. That was the focal point of God's presence on earth. And so it was important to go and worship where God had placed his name, where the focal point of God's presence was designated. But in Christ, that all changed. The focal point of God's presence on earth was no longer a physical building in Jerusalem. It's a person. Jesus is the new tabernacle, right? He is the temple. But even more than that, right, so we have Jesus as the, the walking embodiment of God's presence on earth, right? God in the flesh. But even more than that, after Jesus' death and resurrection and after his ascension, Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. Now the presence of God resides with his people. It's not in a temple. It's not restricted to one particular location. But it is now in the very people of God. Scripture says that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about worship, it's not about being in a particular place at a particular time. It's about, it's about gathering together as the people of God because where God's people are gathered together for worship, God is present with them. And what's more, I said that in the temple in Jerusalem... God, it says that that's where God chooses to place his name, right? That's why worship at the temple was so important. But God has now placed his name on you and on me, right? When we bear the name of Christ, we are, when we put our faith in him, we are called Christians. We bear his name. So now it is, it is on his people that he is choosing to place his name, So when we talk about worship, it's not about being here in this building. It's not about being in any particular place or location. It's about gathering together as the people of God to worship him and to praise him. Now, don't get me wrong and and hope none of you here are superstitious or anything like that. But if this building were gone next week, if this building burned to the ground, his church would still gather to worship, right? Now, that would be an awful tragedy that I hope does not happen. But if this building were wiped from the face of this earth, his church would still gather to worship. It doesn't matter if we're in the parking lot. It doesn't matter if we're in a tent. It doesn't matter if we're in a whole different building. Because worship is not about the building. It's not about the location. It's about God's people gathered together for worship. It's not about the, the location or the place. Finally, Jesus says to worship in spirit and in truth. I want to tackle these quickly here. Truth is the easy one to tackle, right? Worship must be grounded in the truth of scripture. It must be grounded in the character of God, the father and the saving work of God, the son and the sanctifying work of God, the Holy spirit. 
And so everything we do in worship needs to be grounded in truth, in the truth that is revealed in God's Word. So many of our worship songs are, are saturated with Scripture. We're going to close our service in a few moments by singing, Jesus paid it all. And the chorus of that song says, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. You know, the person who wrote that song they didn't come up with those words by themselves. That's from Isaiah chapter one, right? So many of the worship songs we sing, whether they're hymns or whether they're contemporary songs are drawn straight from the truth of scripture. When we sing, we are often singing the very words of God. Our preaching must be Christ-centered. Everything that we preach and teach must be focused on him because he's the one that we lift up. He's the one that we glorify. And we certainly can worship God with our mind. Bible teacher Jen Wilkin once said, you cannot love what you do not know. And so in order to love God with all of our heart, we need to know him as best we can with our mind. And so we ground ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we can love him and worship him as best as we can. But we're also called to worship God in spirit. Now, this one's a little bit harder to both valid. The first option is that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, the NIV that we often read from and preach from capitalizes S, spirit. That's the direction that the translators decide to go there, to worship in capital S, spirit, in truth. In other words, worship must be spirit-led. It is the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. And it's the Holy Spirit who equips and empowers believers to use their gifts in such a way to edify the church. So one way to think about worshiping in the Spirit is to to make sure that all of our worship is Spirit-led and that we are using our gifts, our spiritual gifts, to glorify Him and to edify the church. But we can also think about this in terms of lowercase s Spirit, which some translators also do. And this points to the need for our worship to be, again, I'm going to use those words, genuine and authentic. It's an internal connection more than an external expression. In other words, our worship isn't about just going through the motions. It's not just about the things we do, but it's about a fully committed heart, a fully committed mind to Jesus and giving all of ourselves to him. It's more than just going through the motions. It's a matter of the heart. And both of those things can be true at the same time. In conclusion, what are we missing if we have one without the other? If we have spirit without truth or truth without spirit? All spirit and no truth just leads to emotionalism. You just do whatever you feel is right or feels good in the moment. You're chasing that next spiritual high. You're trying to recreate that feeling you had that one time at that one service. Ultimately, you're focusing on yourself and how you feel rather than God. What about all truth and no spirit? Well, when you're all truth and no spirit, worship can feel cold and distant, just going through the motions. It can be doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. There can be a disconnect between the head and the heart, and there's no relationship with the living God. People are, when there's all truth and no spirit, people are not using their God-given gifts to glorify him and to edify the church. And so we need to hold those two things together. We need both our head and our heart engaged in worship, a heart fully devoted and connected to God and a head fully committed to upholding and proclaiming the truth of God's word. Now notice, and I'll say this and I'll be done. Notice I said nothing about physical posture and worship. As I talked about worship that God desires, I said nothing about how you are to stand or sit or act 
as you are worshiping your Savior. Now, I've observed us as a church, right? Sometimes we are the frozen chosen and we just stand there and we don't move and we don't express ourselves at all. And I know there's plenty of you out there that, that want to raise your hands and maybe even say an amen every once in a while. And I'm here to tell you that both of those are fine and both of those are okay. There's no right way or wrong way to express yourselves physically in worship. Some choose to stand, some would rather, and, and sing their heart out. Some may choose to sit down and prayerfully meditate on the words that, we, that are being sung. But worshiping in spirit and truth has nothing to do with your external posture and everything to do with your internal posture. So make sure that your head and your heart are in the right place and let your physical expression of worship follow suit. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time to hear from your word and study it together. And I pray that you would help us now to continue to engage you in worship that you desire, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close our service, and I invite you to stand and sing with us, Jesus Paid It All. want to remind you before we close our service that Mr. Greg Will from Morgan Place Cemetery is a table over here if anybody would like to take time with, to talk with him 
before you exit. I encourage you to do that today. And those that are interested in the new members info meeting will be down in the social room after the conclusion of the service. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.